And even if you don't have your own client necessarily, but you know somebody at your office or there was a house in the neighborhood that had four or five offers on it, you can say, hey, the house around the corner from you had five offers. There's four other people still desperately trying to find a house. Is there a number you would consider looking at? You can be so, you can leverage any deal, anyone's client that is in your office or that you know about to make these kinds of calls. And yes, you get a lot of no's or don't answers or no one's home or no thank you. But surprisingly, you get every week or so, you get a yes. And if that's a multi-million dollar home or you just start to do it every week and you're getting a new listing lead a week, that is so powerful and it builds so fast. So the question is this, how do most agents succeed in today's competitive real estate market when all the successful agents are keeping the secrets to themselves? So that's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. I interview agents from all over the world. I ask them their tactics, and they share all of their secrets with me so we can give them to the world. I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Welcome back, Real Estate Rockstars. I'm Aaron Amuchastegui. Today, I get to interview Sarah Knauer. Sarah's uh, from the LA area, Santa Monica, Brentwood, a whole bunch of stuff I'll let her talk about. She deals with tons of luxury real estate. It's a fun market. It's a fun uh, type of real estate for us to get to talk to you, and I'm excited to ask her all about it. Uh, Sarah, how's it going? Pretty good. Thanks so much for having me, Aaron. Yes, the glad to, glad to have you on here. And the you know, I was telling you before we started, I used to live somewhat close to you out there. Now I'm out in Austin, Texas, but I will always miss the weather that we had in Central and Southern uh, California when I was getting to spend a bunch of time out there. Yeah, it's beautiful. We're, we had a lot of rain this winter, but we've had a few sunny days now in a row. Yeah, you've got glad enough rain forever that. now, yeah. <laughs> right? The, it's, Which it's, we need it. So in good. one year, they decided to make up for like nine years of of drought and it, the even some of the mountains some of the snow mountains in northern california mm -hmm. and like nevada those, there was so much snow some of the lift chairs couldn't go because the chairs oh were gosh. like hitting snow yeah they're gonna be open for months i think still so. yeah yeah mm -hmm. they've got lots of lots of fun stuff so where are you from are you from that area originally yeah i grew up in the san fernando valley and then moved to westlake village i went to pepperdine so i just went into malibu for college and then moved to the west side so i am born and raised here in l.a I hope one of my kids goes to Pepperdine. The, yeah. That is such a beautiful campus. I was, I was, so I was originally, I was born in Southern Oregon, like small town, Southern Oregon. And when my buddy and I went on a road trip before we started college, one of our friends had got accepted there. So we went up into that campus and we hadn't seen much of the world. And we were like, whoa, the weather of Malibu, the, the Malibu, the beautiful campus that looks out like over the coastline and everything else. Yeah. Like what a, what a dream. Uh, it's special. Well, when he wants a tour or she, anytime. Yeah. When did you, um, so what did you study there? So I was a liberal arts major. I was planning on getting my teaching credential and teaching kindergarten. I taught piano lessons all throughout high school and college. That was my kind of after school job. And I've always loved kids. And then before my senior year though, my boyfriend at the time was going to get his real estate license. Some of his friends kind of were getting into that world through their parents. And I thought, okay, I'll do that with you. It'll be a fun project for us to do together over the summer. And then I just fell in love with it. I ended up getting my license test that fall. I was a senior um, at Pepperdine and I hung my license with the Keller Williams in Calabasas. And I would kind of go back and forth from school to the office and, you know, my piano lessons and doing open houses on the weekends in college. 
And that's really how I got started. And I loved that I got in at such a young age. I know that's a little bit unique. Um, and then when I graduated, I decided I do want this to be my full full-time career. And I interviewed with a bunch of agents who were looking for like a salaried, um, a, a licensed assistant because I wanted to have a salary as well as learn the business and have commission opportunity. And that's how I ended up working with this agent in the Palisades and kind of getting established on the West Side. What year was that? That was in 2013. I got my license, graduated in 2014. Cool. Yeah, that's um, that your strategy to get started was, was pretty great. Uh, because mm -hmm. the it, people don't think of it very often, right? Being a, a salaried assistant mm -hmm. and there's like, there's pros and cons. I think some people, some salaried assistants are like, Hey, I'm the one doing the work that you're seeing these giant commission checks and you're getting your salary. So in one sense, there's gotta be this, I don't know, struggle with that, like an internal struggle. And then there's, but there's also this idea of being able to balance out the security of being, of not having to worry about a check. When we had our office in Northern California, it was like that. You know, we had one, mm -hmm. uh, my wife was the broker that she would essentially do all the, all the, the listings and get the commissions. And she had two people that were full-time that were salaried assistants. They could do mm -hmm. some stuff on the, they could do other deals. They could do the sign leads. They could do buyer agent leads. She was just doing listings. And, um, and there was always like a pro and a con. How is it? How is that for you? Would you recommend somebody following that same path? I think it depends what stage you are in your life and career a little bit, right? I was 21, literally 21, and I needed an income and I didn't have many much experience. And also why would somebody necessarily entrust their biggest financial decision to somebody with no experience who is 21 years old? So I was super happy that I did that. Yes, I was working long hours. I wasn't getting a huge salary, but I the experience I gained was invaluable. And I made connections with, you know, clients that are, have, you know, done deals later on, even to this day with other agents, really built those relationships. And I learned so much. So even as I was then moving into my mid twenties and just now doing my own deals, I was still had a lot of confidence and a lot of knowledge that I learned when I was working as an assistant. So for that time in your life, I really recommend it. Or if you don't feel like you could go six months without having any income, recommend that as an option. And it's different personalities too, right? Some people want that surety of having a paycheck. Maybe you get bonused on deals or, or something like that. For me, I work well under pressure. So when I feel like, okay, I got to hustle, I got to sell some houses, I'm going to really go for it and get some deals in escrow. Another option that I think is a great one too, if you don't want to be an assistant, but you want some support and you want that help is to then just join a team. And again, it might be a few months until you get some business going, but if you find a team that offers a lot of support, they offer that mentorship, they offer the guidance, maybe they help you with some lead flow, then you can start just really working as an agent without feeling like you're so alone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Those really are like the three options, right? It's like mm -hmm. the, you go all into the commission only setup where you eat what you kill. And the pro mm -hmm. of that is you get most of your commissions and the con of mm -hmm. that is it's a steep learning curve and you could have a long time before you make any money mm -hmm. or there's, you join a team. Now your team leader gets a chunk of your commission. So you don't get the whole, you don't get as large of a percentage of each deal, but you're probably bound to get a deal faster. I mean, so mm -hmm. many people, the advice they give is join a team or, and then that other version is your salaried, maybe get some bonuses, maybe get some extra leads that get to come uh, mm -hmm. your way through that process. And that's why I work with my assistant and it seems to do well. You know, he has a salary, he gets a bonus, and then there are certain clients that are his to work with as well. And we have a good, 
dynamic going there. So cool. So you've actually repeated yeah. the same thing. You said it worked for you mm-hmm. and now you're doing, do you think there's a certain amount of time before he decides to go become an agent on his own? I hope not because I think we work really well together. Um, but if you know, that's what he wants to do eventually, of course I'll support it. So, um, yeah, and on, again, it's a point blank question. <laughs> I know. Well, and again, hopefully the, the personality, hopefully he likes, you know, his roles and what he's doing every day and gets to, be client facing, be around people. He's not just at a computer all day. So I think that helps balance out when somebody wants to be an agent, you still, if you're an assistant, you likely still get to do a lot of the same activities as an agent without having that stress and pressure. Yeah. It's a great point too, that there's lots of personalities in real estate, right? So the, and there's lots of personality, like you can be an introvert and there's one business strategy. You can be an extrovert Mm -hmm. and there's one business strategy. You can be somebody Mm -hmm. that likes pressure and likes commission. You can, you know, so it's figuring out like niches happen that way, but also there are those different roles uh, that people have. One of the guys I just recently interviewed, he talked about how much of an introvert he is, right? Mm -hmm. Just like hates reaching out to people. You know, if he didn't have incoming leads from his team, he would have never been successful as an agent, but he did like a hundred deals his second year because he was able to like, once the lead came in, uh, he was able to process it properly. And it's just funny when you see like, yeah, no, it's like some people are going to like processes. Some people love escrow coordination. They're good at it. They like checking the box and that's the, the role they should be in. Um, yeah. So the, what's something that you know now that you wish you would have known at 21 years old out of college? Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's awesome that you figured out before graduating and before trying other careers that you wanted that. You know, they, mm-hmm. they talk about like, and you got to have the college experience, like the mm-hmm. getting to go have the college experience is awesome. People today talk about like, well, so many people don't do what their career is for. I'm like, well, no, go to college because it's like fun and you're gonna have experience. You're gonna meet people. Um, but you didn't like go into a, like a office job for a few years. You got to hit the ground running. So starting at yeah. 21 is awesome. But what's something that you know now that you're like, I wish I would have known that when I was 21, 22. Well, and just one more thing to speak to how important I thought, I think college is some of my just closest relationships and even people that I've done business with have been from college. So that was a really important part of life. Um, I think even more so realizing how much of a long-term game this is. I think when I started, I was very eager and confident, like, oh, people are going to want to work with me. It's going to be so great. And realizing, you know, there's a lot of real estate agents out there and there's a lot of options for them to work with and you really need to establish yourself and get into a neighborhood or a niche and make start making a mark right away and focusing on that neighborhood focusing on that area because it really builds exponentially pretty quickly so that first year before i started working as an assistant i was kind of all over the place taking open houses wherever i could get them like going to Pasadena one weekend and then I'd be back in West like the other weekend, just like going around like crazy. And I was never really able to build any business from a lot of those kind of extraneous open houses that I sat at or those people, because you can't focus on five separate neighborhoods, especially in an area like LA where just distance wise, it's far. So I wish I had started even sooner building in one particular neighborhood, focusing on that area and like staying in touch with clients even better than I did because it's nothing is worse than when you see somebody that you met by another, by a house and they didn't use you. And you feel like, Oh my gosh, that's totally my fault. I dropped the ball and learning from those experiences a little bit sooner. 
Yeah, I remember one of the first times that happened to us where you know we sold a, a close friend of ours. We had we had mm-hmm. the listing, and they came to us and said, "Hey, can we just buy it from you direct?" We're like, "Yeah, we'll do both sides of it." We got them a great discount because they were our friends, right? Mm-hmm. We, we were flipping tons of houses. We're like, "Yeah, we'll get you guys in there. We won't make you pay any buyers agents." So, so it was so great. And two years later, they sold the house, and I remember seeing they sold it and going like, "Oh my gosh." Why didn't you think of us? And later I was like, um, I, I bumped into him and I tell him, Con, you know, congratulations for selling your house. Mm-hmm. Um, why didn't you call us? Like, I was surprised you didn't call us. And he's like, oh, we just thought you were super busy and didn't like, would rather not take it. And it was like, mm-hmm. oh, you thought we were so busy. We wouldn't want another listing. And they're like, right. We thought that like, you wouldn't want to do ours because you're doing these other ones. And you're right. Like there's this opportunity of going like, no, if somebody you did a deal with does a deal with somebody else, that is totally like a stake to the heart. Uh, But it's absolutely on us. It's absolutely on us as real estate agents like that, that follow up. I still interview a lot of people that have had a lot of success over the past four or five years and haven't mastered that follow up yet. Haven't Mm -hmm. mastered the way like to keep in touch. I think it is so important with how, you know, especially as the market slows down, realizing how much, you know, people can get new business from old business. Oh yeah. Do you, do you use any systems or like tricks or anything in your, in your tool belt that you would use, recommend to people to, in order to keep those um, like keep those relationships or keep in touch with people? Absolutely. So uh, using a CRM or a database, whatever you like, but every time you meet somebody, whether it's just somebody at a coffee shop and you happen to get their name and number or you're sitting in an open house or an incoming lead from online, all of your friends, even your family, putting everyone into a a database or a CRM. I use Copper. Um, It's pretty simple. It integrates with Gmail really well. That is super important because you never want to lose somebody's information. You always want to be able to have a record of everyone's contact information. When you last followed up, as many notes as you can about what they're looking for, where they currently live, anything and everything that you can put in there. And then if somebody's actively looking, that's a little bit easier because you're you're constantly trying to send them properties, get them appointments. But it's amazing how after you do three or four open houses, you can start to forget about the people from the first one. So you need to be actively in there every couple of days, making sure, oh, have I talked to that person? What do I need to send them? Let's go find them a pocket listing. Let's see what's available now in their search and send them something, even if it's not perfect, just to stay in front of them. And then for past clients, your sphere of influence, people that have referred you business or that you think, you know, one day they're going to now get married and need to buy or sell a house, doing a lot of really organic things like events. So, you know, we do a a pie giveaway every Thanksgiving and in the summer we're going to do like a wine thing where people just come and they come get a bottle of rosé and take it with them for whatever holiday it will be for. Um, We just mailed out um, books to like 150 people with a little note and it's just kind of an inspirational book that we liked and we send that to past clients, people that we've, you know, even just live that were a neighbor that came to an open house, but in the neighborhood that we're focusing on. Um, Inviting people to like a charity event, if you're part of that charity or you buy a table, that's a great way to organically stay in touch with people inviting people to dinner, connecting your friends, anything you can do. We did a flower event one year for Valentine's Day, and we just bought a bunch of flowers from the flower mart downtown, and then people could come and make bouquets. And you can invite your past clients, your friends, and it's really a nice way to stay in front of people like that. Obviously, of course, doing an email once or twice a month, we try to do one video message a month with like a market update or a tip about buying or selling, and then also a 
guide to LA or guide to the West Side with some events that are happening around town, some market stats, things like that. So people are seeing that. Uh, and then another, of course, easy way to stay in front of people is on social media. People are obsessed with real estate right now. It is like, you know, all the new shows are real estate, whether it's HGTV or the more drama stuff, everyone is so into it. So even just picking pictures when you go to an open house and posting all the houses you see on Caravan and saying like, you like this tile or nothing at all. It is so surprising how much feedback interaction you'll get. And it's just an easy way to stay top of mind to everyone that you know. There's so many good things that you just gave people. I know people are going to rewind that and kind of try to take <laughs> some notes, but so many applicable things too, right? Mm -hmm. Like the pie giveaway is great. Like the, the flower making bouquet, like come in mm -hmm. and make a custom bouquet. I think that stuff uh, is so brilliant and, um, and really easy to implement as you're reaching out to people. And it, mm -hmm. you know, you get a little bit of extra time too. Anytime you get them to come to your office and do a, Hey, pick up a bottle of wine or come, you know, pick up a pie or, when you go out there for our rentals, we deliver turkeys on Thanksgiving. And oh, so wow. Like, yeah. So we go to their houses, we deliver a turkey like three or four days before. So we get to see everybody that rents a house from us. Um, and we've got like 800, we have a ton of them. And, but it's one way that we can see like face to face, like it, it does a couple of things. We get to have a conversation. We get to see mm -hmm. like what their life is looking like, what the house is looking like. Like there's yeah. so many different things that get to happen. So that like quick uh, in personal, you know, you know, if they come in to get a pie from you, uh, they come in to do the flowers, like getting to just have a few extra moments in person, I think can probably go a long way. I think I've done a demo. Uh, now, the, is the copper CRM the one where inside Gmail, like some windows will pop up on the right and kind of give you the background on it. Like if you get an email from somebody, it'll actually say like, here's who they are. Here's wh where you met them, how you talked, why you're talking to them. Yeah, it will. And I'm actually not even using that feature of it right now. I just okay. keep it really simple and just go into like into copper and see it, but yes, it can totally integrate like that. You can send emails within copper. You can just send emails out to clients from copper. Um, yeah. And if you get an email from someone, you can just click like add to copper and it will add them directly. It's really clean and simple. It's fairly customizable. If you want to add certain columns, remove certain columns, you can have a pipeline in there so you can see kind of a flow of income and commissions, that kind of thing too. Um, I like to keep it really simple. You know, everyone I know is in there. I have my A clients who I want to stay in touch with every week, whether they're looking at something now or it's a high price point client or somebody that I'm trying to make a good impression on and they should hear from me every week. A B client where every two weeks we should be checking in, a C where it's like every month check in and then kind of everybody else and your sphere of influence. Um, and as having a system is the most important thing. I know people yeah. get, I think, really tied up in like which CRM is the best and doing all these things. Just, it could be a Google spreadsheet, anything that works. As long as you've got a system. Mm -hmm. there were, and you yeah. put everybody in it. A good point you made at the yeah. beginning was like, now you put all of your friends and family in something because there's a mm -hmm. certain level of emails that they should be getting, even if you don't think of them as customers. Everyone you met in college, right? Mm -hmm. And whether you're like going to college and meeting like this big network uh, of friends inside there or like people that you meet at church or at business mm -hmm. meetups or like any, anything, you know, soccer game, whatever, right. Yeah. You're meeting somebody, you're putting them in there. They're getting added into like, maybe like the friend zone email, right. Where everybody gets this mm -hmm. one, but then you also categorize them. But if, if while we were talking, they said they're going to buy a house in the next year, you're putting them into this, this different category. Mm -hmm. so you're talking about, so one of the things you talked about was setting up longevity in a specific niche. So like, yeah. and when you're saying that, like first you did a bunch of neighborhoods, a bunch of ideas, and then you said, I'm going to dial down to, is it like 
a neighborhood? Is it a zip code? Is it a price point? And then, and then you just focus way more of your farming there. So like everybody will get some of the email stuff, but if you're going to be trying to lead, generate leads, you're generating just in that, um, that group. Yeah. So, and again, I would never turn down business, right? If somebody says, Hey, I want to buy this, this house in West Hollywood, or I'm looking here. It's not that I'm not going to help them, but I'm not going to start door knocking there. Probably not, probably not sending open houses there. And like doing a lot of farming for this new neighborhood, I'm going to help that client. And then I'm going to stay back focused with all of my lead generation activities in another neighborhood. So right now, for example, I'm really focused on North of Montana. It's the area that I live in. It's like where I want to live and work. It really suits my lifestyle. I fit in with the people here. It's where I work out and go to lunch and do everything. So if I'm around town, I'm probably going to bump into the people that I want to be working with. I had a client from many years ago, they wanted to live in this North of Montana neighborhood. So we door knocked specifically Spanish homes, North of Montana to look for a home for them. And we got um, a couple potential leads out of it. They looked at one of the Spanish homes or both of them wasn't the right fit, but ended up getting to list that Spanish property that didn't work for them. And now we have a great cool. listing in the neighborhood. And setting open houses, just found more people that want to live in this neighborhood. Now we have more clients to go, you know, send letters and door knock. And it just really builds on itself in this particular neighborhood. If you have, if you're focused on so many areas that you can't like stay on top of what the market's doing, you can't probably physically go prospect or preview off market homes or just be really hyper aware of what's going on. It's you're going to start dropping the ball and Ideally, you want to be somewhere where you can kind of know everything that's happening. And if a pocket listing comes up, we do a lot of off-market business. So a pocket listing comes up, you want to think, oh, great, I have three people I can send that to and stay top of mind. And or if you're looking for a specific property, hopefully you're looking for something that works for a couple of different clients. So you're kind of working smarter, not harder. And you can remember things. You can go physically be in the properties. It's really important to actually go into houses and be in properties and like see what they're like. Tell a client, hey, I just saw this house today. You should really come see it. I think it'll work great for you. I've sold so many properties like that where a client didn't want to be in that area or they didn't want to come see the house. But I said, no, you got to come see it. And that's a huge part of our business um, to actually be in property. So just physically, mentally, logistically focusing on a spot is so important. I think it's probably even more important in that luxury space, mm -hmm. like the, like the, how to succeed in luxury. I mean, that's because the, it, when, when you know everything about a certain neighborhood, right, there's, it, it's so much better of like, no, you have to, you have to go to the expert or in that luxury price point. It's like knowing about the one off market deal and that, mm -hmm. like or knowing the difference between the reason, like, cause you could essentially, you could be on the same street and have a house be a million or $2 million more or less than another one. Mm -hmm. Right. That's around the same size. So normal comping doesn't work. You have to kind of know like, no, the reason that one was more was because of this view in the back or this one didn't have it. Right. Like in mm -hmm. the luxury space, you know, really, really knowing your niche or your neighborhood or your markets even more important. Oh, absolutely. And to your point, I think that you mentioned earlier is, yeah, you could you could think of I actually I think Ryan Serhant says this in his fantastic book, Sell It Like Serhant. What are you do? What do you want to be known for? Like, think about I am the agent that blank. Like, what do you sell? What are you known for? And so maybe you do want to be known for selling, you know, luxury properties, new construction over a certain price point in 
Malibu, Bel Air, Beverly Hills, right? Maybe it's a little bit geographically spread out, but you are super focused on a certain type of home. Or maybe it's I'm focused on, you know, Palisades, Brentwood, Santa Monica, that kind of five to $10 million sweet spot is kind of where I'm really hyper-focused. So think about where it is that you want to be focused on because you do, you should know everything and everything. Likely people are working with more than one agent because they're looking for those off-market opportunities. So they're going to probably end up working with whoever's going to actually bring them the property um, or you know, send it to them first. They're getting emails from everyone. So whoever's going to start finding them those off-market properties faster is going to be the one that they're probably going to be more committed to working with. Um, you also, like you said, have to know why certain properties were worth more than others, be able to comp them. Maybe something was brand new construction versus a complete teardown or needed a million dollars of work. There's going to be a lot of variables and you should be able to go into all the houses and have seen them to be able to speak to them to a client. Hey guys, a quick commercial break here, but don't worry. This one is only going to run for the next two or three episodes. I talk so much about the mastermind. It's one of my passions, getting everybody to come hang out in Austin where I get to meet you guys. Well, we just had it, you know, a few weeks ago and we decided for next year, we were going to do pre-sales. We're only selling 70 tickets total for the whole country. And that way we keep it nice and small where everybody meets everybody. And the end of it, it's like a big giant family. Well, we put out the pre-sales last week. And in the, during the pre-sales, we sold more than 60 tickets. So there's less than 10 spots left. 10 spots left if you want to join us for the Mastermind for next year. We're putting the date so far out there. You've got no excuses um, to be able to know that the date works. You can put it in your calendar now. And we also set up a payment plan for people to break it up into four easy payments. So if you're one of those people that have thought about going to the Mastermind, have never pulled the trigger, now's the time. And it's for, it's for March for next year. But you got to go sign up now if you want that spot. I don't like selling. I don't like advertising. So we figured we would knock it out quickly. We'd knock it out, you know, this first couple weeks in April for next year. So instead of working on that, we're going to focus on value. If you do join the mastermind, you get to be a uh, join part of our private Facebook group where we do monthly Zoom calls, where we do tactics on those calls. They're really small. There's like, you know, between 10 and 20 people on those. So you get to ask lots of questions and learn from experts. So if you are interested in signing up, go to realestaterockstarsnetwork.com forward slash mastermind, realestaterockstarsnetwork.com forward slash mastermind. Go lock in your ticket. We have less than 10 spots left. You can break it up into four payments. So that way it is much easier to, to be sure to join. And I promise you, it is the least expensive mastermind out there for the type of stuff that we're doing. You know, the GoBundance masterminds that I talk about that I'm a part of cost five times what we do for this. And I try to deliver twice as much value. All right, back to the podcast. Yeah. So what's your, what are your daily? So like, so what's the average price point where you're at? My average, uh, probably four to $5 million right in there is the average price point. Cool. And what does your daily like plan look like your day, your, your daily structure? Like how, how do you, how do you go about your normal process? Yeah. So typically I wake up fairly early. I like to work out, walk, listen to something positive, kind of get some time to myself before the day gets started. Then typically have either a little team zoom or a phone call with my assistant to just kind of run down, check where we are with current escrows, listings, any projects, things like that, that we're working on. Um, and then usually my partner and I, Victoria, will meet and we'll start door knocking for, we try to do that as our first main thing for like an hour, hour and a half and pick a focus. So we need somebody like that wants a corner property or the Spanish house, like I said. So we go and we door knock for an hour and a hour and a half or so. We might even make some cold calls, just literally sitting in the car. If there's a house that we think is really 
uh, a good fit or a house that we think maybe there's a reason they want to sell because there's some work going on or something like that. We'll sit in the car, pull up their number and just start calling while we're in the car, like down the street from the house and just get it done. Um, so you're like, hey, I drove by your house today. I was, I, I saw this mm -hmm. was going on. Is there any chance you'd want to sell? Mm -hmm. Or my client has driven by the home. They're very interested. Is there a number you would consider looking at? That's typically a good question. Like, would you consider looking at an offer? Is there a number that gets people to think a little bit more than would you sell? Cause that's a no, they don't want to sell. But if there's a number, there's probably some big magic number that they would sell for. Dude, that's a great point. Just mm -hmm. like a spin on words. The, yeah. uh, that idea. Yeah. Is there a number that you would sell for? Because mm -hmm. I think, yeah, most people would say no, but it gets them thinking like, yeah. And you might be, and I guess in some of the time you might be surprised, right? Yeah. The, I couldn't believe what people paid for the house next door to mine. And then they knocked it down yeah. to build a new one. And I was, first of all, I couldn't believe that they paid that much for it. And then I realized they've only paid for it for the lot value. And mm -hmm. so the, I'm sure that would be one of those situations where they were like, give us a number. Okay. Like somebody really wanted, you know, that property. Yeah. Uh, what if, and, uh, and even if you do don't, that. I know it's great. And even if you don't have your own client necessarily, but you know, somebody at your office or there was a house in the neighborhood that had four or five offers on it, you can say, Hey, the house around the corner from you had five offers. There's four other people still desperately trying to find a house. Is there a number you would consider looking at? You can be so you can leverage any deal, anyone's client that is in your office or that you know about to make these kinds of calls. And yes, you get a lot of no's or don't answers or no one's home or no thank you. But surprisingly, you get every week or so you get a yes. And if that's a multi-million dollar home or you just start to do it every week and you're getting a new listing lead a week, that is so powerful and it builds so fast. So we try to do that a few days a week. Um, and then typically there's going to be maybe like one or two showings. I don't have showings every day, but a couple showings, um, you know, maybe five showings a week or something like that. Typically people are only looking at one or two houses back to back. We don't typically have too much more than that to show them. Then try to come back to the computer and do a lot of follow-up. So whether it's, you know, calling some people that we met door knocking or sent letters to in the weeks prior, current clients that are out looking, we need to maybe find some pockets for them. So we have to go like start calling some agents or texting agents and looking through some of the off-market websites that are in our neighborhood to find them something. Um, start to try to start making now some appointments based off of all this previous work that we've put in. Um, and then we, you know, I try to wrap up my days a little bit on the earlier side and not work too late into the evenings. Obviously, if there's an escrow or something going on, then it's you know, going to have a lot of phone calls and things like that into the evenings. Um, and I'm really involved in a lot of um, like organizations and charity boards and things like that. So I typically have meetings or, you know, Zoom or something going on in the evenings for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So to set your day up for success, you wake up early, you start with like mm -hmm. your health, your exercise, your mental well-being, mm -hmm. and then you have a meeting right away with the people that are on your team to go like, here's mm -hmm. our plan for the day, mm -hmm. um, which I should probably incorporate that more. I have everybody on my team do a lot of like start of day email. I make them figure out their plan for the day. We don't always um, do that together. And you kind of time block these different processes. Mm -hmm. and it sounds like in your market too, like you're like you're having to do so much work for the it's It's not really easy to go find them a house right there. No. They have unique needs to yeah. where um in other price points it might be like here's 10 different houses i can show you what's your favorite one you're like i don't have a house i can show them yet we need to go find a house that we can show yeah. them 
because of what they want for that. Yeah. So you, and in a way, mm -hmm. Go ahead. Good. Well, in a way, it's yes, it'd be nice to have more inventory to show them, but in a way, it's kind of nice because it forces you to go out and create business also. Yeah. Right. You know, you're going to have to create the business. You know mm -hmm. that it's, you're not just waiting to get an offer accepted. You're not just waiting for the next, you're like, if I don't yeah. actually go work for this, this lead is dead. Like this lead yeah. wants this. If I don't go find them that, then it's just, mm -hmm. I'm never going to turn that lead into a closing. You're like, I've got a lot. It's such an interesting, I got a live lead here. This person wants to buy a house. I just have to find them a mm -hmm. house. Um, that's and likely I'm a big believer in like energy, you know, and where you put energy out, it comes back. So even if you, you don't actually aren't the one that's going to find them a house door knocking. You're putting energy towards that client. You're putting energy towards that neighborhood. Something's going to pop up. Maybe something will come on the market the next month or somebody will call you and say, Hey, I just got this great off market listing. Do you have anyone for it? And maybe you'll get a listing that you, you know, out of what the work that you were doing to try to find that client house. So just putting the energy out comes back and it just starts building more and more. Yeah. So your price point, you've got, you're going to have the circumstance where you're about ready to close. You're about ready to make a hundred thousand dollar commission on something. You're to the end and deal falls apart, mm -hmm. right? People cancel, people change. What do you do in that? Because it's, is there a different mindset than an agent where it's a, di a different price point or is it just like par for the course? Like what, what is that experience? Cause I remember when we were doing some really, you know, high end, high end properties, some of the, the challenges that we had with that. Yeah. So it is, oh, there's a lot of money on the line, right? So it is super easy to be so excited for a big commission and then to be really bummed when somebody cancels because something comes up. Yep. I like to try to remember one, deals are going to cancel, right? If you have 20 escrows this year, five of them might fall out. If you have a hundred escrows this year, 20 of them might fall out. So I try to think, great. One of the ones that was going to cancel. So let's just, we just check that off. We just got it out of the way. Let's move on. Let's find this client something different. Let's focus on another client, whatever it might be. And then I try to get back to just a really abundant mentality as fast as you can after that. So sit down, write about all the other clients that you have that you want to work for and think, okay, great. Now I can start focusing on some of them. Maybe they're even a higher price point with a better commission and you're more excited to now start focusing on them. Maybe that client was just draining energy and I never like to say wasting time, but maybe they were not serious about closing or buying a house. And so you can now like release them and say, great, let them go work with somebody else that will spend their time and energy working with them if they're not serious about buying a house, that kind of thing. Um, it just, it happens, right? So just remembering that it happens, that it's normal. Of course, you're going to want to do everything you can to keep it together. I know I've had some really precarious deals where you think, oh my gosh, this is going to fall apart over a couple thousand dollars over or over closing one day late. And just again, putting energy towards it, thinking about it, like envisioning a positive outcome is so important. Communicating with the other agents on the other side, that is so important because Hopefully you're all working as a team to keep everything staying together and to getting that deal to a successful closing. So staying in communication with them, just being collaborative, trying to figure out, you know, creative ways to solve problems. That's always really the, you know, the best thing to do. And if it, if the client doesn't want it, then you have to remember like, this is even more so than I was excited about this commission. This was a multi-million dollar purchase and let's my client do what's best for them. And if they want to cancel, then they, you know, want to cancel and that's their choice. 
Hey, real estate rock stars. We only have a few minutes left in this episode, but before we get to the grand finale, I just want to say, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. You know, podcasts are obviously free. You don't have to pay to listen to the podcast, but if you could pay one thing, if I could charge you one thing to listen to this podcast, what I would ask you to do is go, please make a review. Go to wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's on YouTube or on Apple or Android, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go give me a review of the podcast. I read them. I listen to them. I try to make adjustments. You know, a couple of years ago, I had a ton of bad reviews on the sound quality or the number of advertisements, things like that. And I've really tried to dial in to add value for all of you guys. So please, please, please go do a review. If you want to get a, a copy of the toolbox of the stuff that you know, everybody that comes on the show, they give us some tactics. They give us something that we put in what we call our toolbox. And so to get that, you go to realestaterockstarsnetwork.com. When you get there, click on the, the toolbox and you get access to the free gift that every person that we interview on the episode provides. There's things like, you know, uh, listing tactics, how to do a presentation, you know, how to do a newsletter, all sorts of cool, fun stuff. And if you want to talk to me, go find me on Instagram at Aaron Amuchastegui. Ask me a question. I talked to so many of you guys on there. All right, back to the show. Thanks again for being a listener. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love a couple of things that you said there. Like one, like keeping that positive attitude because mm-hmm. real estate is such an emotional journey. When you think about mm-hmm. this $5 million purchase is going to cancel over one day late or $2,000, that is real life. That's mm-hmm. absolute real life where a seller just goes, no, I already agreed to do all the rest of that. I'm not going to do that or, or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. It becomes this super, super emotional thing where it's no longer practical. It's no longer about the money. So if you can stick with that, like abundance mindset and that positive attitude mm-hmm. and the like, no, this is all going to work out. Like just body language, and everything else, energy can like come back in because it is so emotional. I'm always mm-hmm. amazed at seeing these giant deals and why they fall out <sighs> over a grudge or something just strange, or I don't like the way they talked back to us, just the the, the most wild stuff. So I love that. And I also love this idea. I do it with contractors. I tell my Mm -hmm. team, like before, when we go into a new town or a new city or a new state, it's going to take us 10 painters before we find the good one, Mm -hmm. right? We're going to have to fire nine painters before we find the painter that's going to paint a hundred houses for us, right? Mm -hmm. That's going to be our go-to person. And it's a, it could be a frustrating thing where they're like, no, I'm going to do it within one or two. Or they'll tell me like, I know this guy's going to be perfect. And then, you know, he gets fired. It's like, don't worry. Like, but I try to tell him to celebrate it. Cool. You're one closer to the 10. We got, we only have to fire six or seven more before we find Mm -hmm. the one. It's almost like you're trying to celebrate those as as falling out too. Like you don't want to celebrate anything falling out, but you're going into the year going, all right, we're going to get 90 in escrow. And we know that 80 are going to sell, or we're going to get 20 in escrow. You know, 18 of them are going to close. And so when one of those things does happen, you're like, cool, we knew we were going to lose one this year. Like we tried everything we could. We kept a positive attitude. It fell out. We got one of them out of the way. Um, we knew we were going to have a couple of those. Now we at least got that one out of the way because we yeah. weren't going to have a year that was zero. So you could mm-hmm. celebrate the celebrate the the discouragement and stuff. All right. Box, we're one yeah. step closer to right. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So the your price point, anything easy mm-hmm. people can do to change the prices, you know, the I mean, you're talking a, a very different price point. It's kind of on the smaller level flips when I ask people that it's like, oh, yeah, you know, countertops, kitchens, things like that, you know, repainting freshness, anything you guys can do in those higher price points that makes a big difference on sales. Oh, yeah. So there is a lot that you can do to get your listing to show great. Also, it's important to remember money doesn't always buy taste. So 
Sometimes yeah. clients have a really different like aesthetic or taste in furniture or something. Then we actually want to present the home with when it comes to the market, that's going to be universal to everybody. We try to always recommend staging unless maybe something super, really super designer done. But again, we want that staging to end up feeling like it's designer done. And maybe this is the seller's furniture where like they're, you know, they hired some fancy schmancy interior designer to pick out all this furniture. So being really involved when you are staging a home, bringing in little accents, like even beautiful, you know, the nice fancy candles that make a house feel so good, fresh flowers, music, getting all the furniture and art, right? Making sure nothing's dirty, everything you want it to feel so good because really what we're doing is we're selling a lifestyle. We're not just selling a house, right? There's a bunch of houses on the homes that are available four walls, all these bedrooms, but it's really what kind of life is this family going to have now when they move into this, into this home? Where are they going to be walking to the, you know, Montana Avenue and to the country mart and to coffee? Are they going to be, do they have a view property? They're going to be hosting parties. What is this life that you're emulating that you want to come across as soon as somebody walks in the home? So those are all the little ways that we think about kind of going above and beyond when you're getting a house ready to list. And it's really apparent. I mean, you can walk into homes that feel really, really good and like, oh my gosh, who lives here? I want to be the woman that lives in this house and like cooking in this kitchen and, you know, getting their kids out the door for school or whatever, because it feels so good. And then you go into some homes and you think this was a sloppy paint job. This, you know, these doorknobs are really chintzy. I, the staging looks cheap and it just doesn't feel good. So you want to just, all these little things go a long way, like fluffing pillows, turning on the lamps, getting all, if there's outdoor furniture, pull it in and out every time. So that doesn't have leaves and dirt all over it. Um, again, just putting like water bottles in the fridge and offering people, Hey, do you want still or sparkling when you come in the house? That's such a little small thing to do to elevate somebody's experience right when they walk in the door. Yeah. It changed the way they feel about it, the way that they're mm -hmm. feeling as they're coming in or leaving, mm -hmm. and again, especially in luxury, right? Was mm -hmm. it a luxury experience? It's yeah. got to be an interesting conversation when you walk into a house to list and somebody has really expensive taste that doesn't have good taste, mm -hmm. right? You're like, we can't list it with these couches in here. How do you have that conversation where you're like, we really need to stage it and it can't be your furniture? Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, it's, it's could be that it is like beautiful, really high end designer furniture. That's just not universal. So I think good ways to phrase it are you, you have beautiful taste. It's very specific. And we're trying to make this home feel as good to as many buyers as possible. So we want furniture in here. That's going to allow them to envision their own unique taste and style when they come into the house. Um, you can also have stagers come through and be the ones to tactfully have that conversation. If you have somebody good, again, like in your Rolodex, you should have a lot of different stagers, uh, that you can go to depending on the style house. If you need to have that conversation, that kind of thing, you can always say, well, let's just walk through with the stager. It's no cost. Let's walk through and see what their feedback is. They're the professional designers, not me. So that's a good way to do it. Um, Usually people come around to it um, and can realize you can also show them photos and like data of homes. This home was staged. This home was not. And it sold in X amount of time versus X, this amount of time. I think there is a stat that just in general staged homes sell faster. Um, I think yeah. it also shows a little bit and for I think more money too, that there was no, um, no cost was, you know, uh, 
there spared like the no exactly no cost was spared when we were bringing this house to market there is no rush or immediate need immediate need to sell or anything like that just hey we're gonna do this right and we're gonna present the property in its best light yeah and we will also often really? we'll sometimes even say we believe so firmly in this and we're team players that will you know cover a portion of the cost from commission at the close of escrow to do the staging because we we believe in it that strongly yeah, if they mm -hmm. if they fight you on that as a cost of sale, you're like, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll 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 split it with you. We'll market yeah. it with you because we mm -hmm. know you're you're not going to be disappointed. Mm -hmm. um, also, some really really great advice today. The the lots of um, you know fun tactics out there. You know some strategies that people can kind of start like focusing on a niche mm -hmm. and how to grow that. Some of the activities throughout the year. If people want to learn more about you, if they want to reach out to you, have questions. Um, send you referrals for the, you know, the, the LA area. What's the best way people can follow along and learn more from you on what you're doing? Yeah. Thanks, Aaron. So um, Instagram is a great way to find me. It's just at Sarah Knauer and, you know, message me, ask me any questions. I, I'm, I'm always in there, happy to answer and talk anytime. And then I also, my partner and I do have a monthly mastermind that we host. It's completely free. You can find it at thecoursere.com and you can sign up to be part of the monthly mastermind where you send in your questions beforehand. We go through um, every month and we answer as many questions as we can. We usually are able to get through them all. Um, that's a great way to talk more. And then we also host a real estate reset course where we go through like all of these things from choosing a neighborhood to, you know, keeping your positive mindset and attitude, your CRM. And we go into a lot of detail and we'll have another session starting in the fall. So you can get on the wait list for that too at the, the course re.com. So the course re.com or Sarah mm -hmm. Knauer on Instagram. I went and found you mm -hmm. on Instagram just now. I, I followed you. We'll get to chat some more on there about everything. The Sarah, this was a great interview. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me here. Real Estate Rockstars, thanks for listening. Mm -hmm. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>